listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons, the Tuffle Horizons podcast. I'm Shannon, and I'm here with Lauren. Hi, everyone. And we're recording uh, remotely. I'm not literally here with Lauren, but we're both here on the line, excited to do the episode this week. We're really excited. We are. We kind of like doing it this way, actually. It works, right? Yeah, I don't, it, I don't know. It seems kind of fun to be able to have a conversation through technology and talk about the same thing. I don't know. I like it. Yeah, to co-host the same podcast, even though we're not actually in the same place. <laughs> because technology. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So this week, we are excited to get into talking about the other productive skill, which is the skill of writing. Um, in the last episode where Lauren and I talked together, we talked about speaking, if you remember. Um, go back and review that episode if you need to. Um, but basically, of the two productive skills, so where students are actually producing language, we have writing and we have speaking. Um, we did speaking last time. So now we're going to talk a little bit about teaching a writing lesson and how to teach writing. Um, so Lauren, what's most teachers' approach, or what is some teachers' approach, would you say, to teaching writing? I, I've worked in a lot of schools where uh, teachers thought that having students write you know, in complete silence during class was a, a waste of class time. So that so they would instead uh, assign the writing for homework, um, and I think that it, it's tempting, right? Because you're like, well, I mean, it, we're they're gonna sit there for ten or fifteen minutes in complete silence and just write what a, you know what could I possibly do to help them? But the truth is, is that it, writing on your own and writing in your class in in class are two completely different things, and in, in actually to practice writing, they need to have a structured approach. Yes, exactly. So it is possible to, to teach writing in class. That's actually exactly what we're talking about in this episode. Um, but kind of like what we said with speaking, I think what we want to avoid in teaching a writing lesson is for the students to feel like they came to class, they sat down, they wrote something, and then they left, right? Which, yes, right. technically that's writing practice if they're, if they're actually writing some sort of authentic text. Um, but that there's no real proof in students doing that and just coming to class, sitting down, writing something, and then that's it. Um, I don't know that you can really justify in that process that the students actually left any better at writing than they were when they showed up to class. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when we do it in class, we give them that, that opportunity to, to, we set that, that time aside for them to, to focus on that skill, developing that skill, which I think is super important. And it also shows them that, that learning how to write is equally as important as learning how to read or listen or speak. Exactly. And this also brings up the, the important point that not just any time students are physically writing counts as writing practice. So just Absolutely. because you have the students doing a, a grammar exercise, you know, where they have to write sentences using the target grammar, that's not a writing exercise. That's a grammar exercise where they just happen to be writing. Um, so writing, right. you know, isolated sentences in which the goal is to practice a specific grammar or vocabulary structure. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, um, like you just said, Lauren, developing writing as a skill, just the way that students need to, you know, work on their reading comprehension skills or their listening comprehension skills. Now we're right. looking at developing writing as the skill of writing the process of writing. Exactly. And so the first thing we really need to do before we even think about structuring a lesson is really look at what we're going to have the students write. And so like what you said, Shannon, it's like writing 10 sentences using, you know, whatever the grammar is, isn't writing practice. That's no. grammar practice. Exactly. So the first thing that we look at when we are going to teach a writing lesson is what the task is. So the task is not write 10 sentences or the task is not write a paragraph, right? That isn't a task. A task is having students model something uh, authentic, right? So like, if we think about the things that we, we do in our everyday lives, maybe we write um, an email, right? Or we write a, um, a comment on a post online. 
And what we're noticing actually is more and more with uh, the, the current course books that are being published now, uh, the tasks are actually starting to use that language. So back in the day, like when I first started teaching 20 years ago, a lot of the tasks were like, write a, a you know, a postcard to your friend or whatever, you know, uh, from your last vacation destination. Whereas a lot of the course books now are saying like, write, you know, write a, 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 a social media post or comment on a social media post <laughs> yeah, or changing. write or write a restaurant review on a website or something like that. So e- even that language uh, is changing in the course books, which I think is really interesting because what it does is it's, it's showing teachers too, that te- that students need to be writing authentic texts exactly. that mirror what they might do in real life. They're like, when's the last time you just like sat down and said, oh, I'm going to sit down and um, write a paragraph today. Like, right? Like, we that don't do that. Like, we no. don't do that. Like, I know we were all forced to do that in school, but that's totally different. You know, as normal adult humans, you never yes. sit down like, oh, that movie was so interesting. I think I'll write a paragraph about right. that movie that I just right. saw. So, like, like just... telling your students to write a paragraph about something is not going to, to result in a very a, a very good writing or very authentic writing. So, And it's if, boring. And it's boring. It's boring. So if you're if you're cor- if you're using older course books, and we all do, I mean, um, feel free to adapt the tasks so they're a little bit more uh, realistic, a little bit, uh, you know, more up to date. Um, but the newer course books will actually uh, uh, take those things in uh, to consideration. Um, and so a lot of the stuff is like referring to digital stuff, like write a text message to your friend about you know that you're going to be late for dinner or whatever. So that's kind of nice. So yeah, before you even plan your writing lesson, look at the task. Make sure it's something that mirrors a real life activity. Make sure it's realistic and make sure that it's um, achievable in the amount of time that you have, that the students have to write. Yes, really good point. So yeah, keep in mind that the longer the task you give them, the more time they're going to need to write it. I know that sounds obvious, um, but it really is something to think about that if you're asking them to write a short story, you know, that's probably going to take a lot longer than it, it is if you ask them to write a postcard. Exactly. Um, so you're going to need to choose the task based on the time constraints that you have. Absolutely. So, and that will, asking those questions before you start to plan your lesson will really actually help you then choose like uh, how much time you're going to allot for the, the stages and stuff like that. So it's a really good, it's a really good thing to really, really dissect the task before you even get into planning it. Yep. And I think as you'll see, as we continue on talking about this writing lesson in this episode, is that really everything in the lesson stems from what that task is. So that really is your starting point. Um, Without a writing task that works, nothing else in the lesson really matters or makes sense. Absolutely. Agreed. Yep. Okay. So really important to, to feel good about your task, to think of it as something that's very authentic that you could imagine learners doing in real life, or at least you could imagine someone doing it um, in real life. You know, not all of the learners are going to be Yelp reviewers or travel bloggers or whatever, if that's what your task is. But um, normal adults do those things. Um, So then in terms of starting the actual lesson, we have our task. And hopefully by now, if you've been listening to us for a while or you have some good training, you know that the first step in any successful lesson is, of course, going to be a lead-in. So we're going to lead into the lesson by setting the context. And so now, if you have some sort of authentic writing task that you're going to have the students do later on, um, this is going to be easy, right? If you're having the students write, for example, a travel blog, you've got a very clear context of traveling. You don't need to get into the actual writing part or even tell them that it has anything to do with writing yet, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, but you've got some ideas for lead-ins just to set the context, just to get them thinking about traveling. Um, right. So your lead-in could be something as simple as talk to your partner about the last place you've traveled or um, about your favorite travel destination. Or yes. if you want to get a little bit more specific, it could be something like, do you read travel blogs? Sure. Do you have a favorite travel blog? Uh, did you read any articles about you know this city before you came here? Do you like to read about cities before you visit them? Nice. Um, just something to kind of yeah. get them thinking in those about in that way. Travel. I do uh, a little lead-in with like um, city nicknames. So like, I'll either say the name of the city or the nickname, and they have to name it. So like oh, the, city, the city of brotherly love or like, uh, you know, whatever the windy city. And it's, it's fun because like 
some of them know and some of them don't because a lot of them are, are uh, U.S. cities that I name in the quiz. So it, it just gets them thinking, right? About, oh, that's like, you know, fun. Yeah. And I like just, that because it, it gets into destinations, but then it also brings in this sort of like colloquial, familiar way yeah. of thinking about cities that seems very typical to travel blogging. And then often they'll contribute theirs to, oh, like, oh, my city has a nickname too. You know, it's kind of nice. Oh, it that's works. great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great. So once you've set context uh, in your lead-in, and again, we're not even, it's not even important to be like, today, we, like, we don't lead into a lesson like that. Today, we're no. going to write a travel <laughs> blog. Like, not important. Not important. Go back. Because yeah. <laughs> Go back and read our blog post on lead-ins for why <laughs> exactly. you don't need to do that. Exactly. <laughs> the lead-in is just meant to lead into the next stage. So rest assured by the next stage they'll they'll probably have figured out that they're going to be looking at some sort of travel blog um so in the next stage we want them the students to look at the model text so look at an example of a a travel blog if that's what you're going to have them write so um the lesson that i teach on uh, travel blogs i've written um a model text on boston because that's where i'm from um and it's got like five paragraphs and I've taken off the sub the subtitles, so it it's very clearly the way it's formatted. It looks like a blog. It's got a picture on there from the internet. It it looks like it, it what it is. That's the easiest way to have students look at a model text is for the model text to actually look authentic because yes. you have to do a lot less explaining that way. Right, and, and I mean that's the whole point of them. giving them model, right? It, right, it's exactly. supposed to look like what you are expecting them to then produce later on. Exactly. In the so I, you know, I ask questions like, "Where might you see this on the internet?" Things like that. So before we we do anything major with a you know with a text, I have them just do um, a quick gist read uh, or you know a, a, a read for content. Um, and because I've taken the subtitles off of those paragraphs, it makes it really easy, right? So I tell the students, you know read quickly and give each section a title and uh with lower level classes i might just give them a choice of titles on the board uh with higher level classes i just let them write their own subtitles um and i tell them they can be simple like um uh food or they can be uh you know they can be creative if they want to like uh quick eats or whatever you might write if you were more creative about writing a title. Um, and that's a really great task because it, uh, you know, they don't have to understand every word. They don't have to read every, you know, it's not, it's, it's not something that takes too long. You know, that stage should be about five-ish minutes. So students read the five paragraphs or skim the five paragraphs, gives them a title, and then they compare their uh, titles with their partners. And at that point I ask them, I'm like, is it important? Do you have to have the same title as your partner? No. You know, is it okay if it's something similar? Yes. So they, they all work together. Everyone chooses sort of, you know, we come to a consensus what the title for the, the paragraphs should be. And we get, those, um, we get those titles on the board. Because those titles are going to be really uh, uh, helpful later on in the lesson when students are trying to think of what to write about. Right, they've exactly. got those headings like uh, historic places, uh, sightseeing. I think there's like sports and entertainment, food, and I can't remember what the other one is. But um, so it gives them sort of that structure early on in the in the lesson. Exactly. Yep. So just to to give a little bit of commentary to what Lauren's saying for you listening. Um, the reason why we need this stage, you know, not just to kind of throw the model at the students and say, here, this is what you need to write now. Um, We know that that's what we're doing. Like, we know the reason why we're giving them this model text is because we want them to have an example of what we expect them to produce ultimately in the lesson. Um, But students still need a chance to really digest that first, right? Like, we can't just give them this model and then say, here, I'm giving you this because I want you to write this now. (laughs) Um, They need a bit more time and a bit more structure in terms of getting into the content. Um, so giving them this this just reading task where, you know, the task that you mentioned, Lauren, is perfect, where they have to title the, the different parts of the blog. That's not only giving them sort of direction for their reading, but just like you said, it's also helping them examine the kind of content that goes mm-hmm. into this type of text so that they're now more prepared with what type of content they should be putting into their own writing when the time comes in this lesson. Right. And a side yeah. note here, if the model text that is provided for you in your course book is 
not what you want your students to be modeling, feel free to rewrite it. Yes. So again, course books are not perfect. They do not know your students. If that is not ideal, don't feel tied to it. Adapt it. It's fine to adapt model text. Just make sure that it's as close to what you want them to produce as possible. And that includes length. So we talked earlier about thinking about how much time you have and how much Correct. students can realistically write in that amount of time. So, you know, if you give them a travel blog that's five paragraphs long, that basically yes. means you're, even if you're not overtly saying it, you're showing them that that's what you want them to do. And that's Correct. what they're gonna think they have to do in whatever Correct. time you give them. So if you don't have that much time, you probably wanna give them a travel blog that's three paragraphs Correct. long or, you know, yeah. whatever you think is manageable. In my lesson, I have uh, groups choose the section they want to write. So that makes it a little bit easier because they contribute basically to like a larger class blog where they're each writing a section. Yeah, because it kind of breaks up the work a little bit. And really, like realistically, you're never going to have... No one... They're not going to have time to write five paragraphs ever. Um, But it's nice because (laughs) it also gives them that ownership. Like just, just thinking ahead, not to sort of to go too far ahead in the lesson, but thinking about your model as... Exploiting that model as much as you can. So... The reason I included the five paragraphs was because it gave them a variety of things later on in the lesson to choose from. Mm-hmm. So just really thinking about it, like like you said, though, if you don't want them to write something long, then don't give them something long to read. Like, just think about your model and do, um, it's okay to adapt it if you need to. Yes, absolutely. Good. Okay, so we have the model text and we know now that we can give them that just reading because that's really going to help them understand the kind of information that's going to go into their writing. But we can get a lot more out of the model text than just that. Mm-hmm. And this comes back to what I said at the beginning of this episode where I said, you know, we don't want students to feel like they just showed up, they sat down, they wrote something and then they left, right? So something that we can give them that's going to help upgrade their writing so it's not just that they came and they wrote something Um is a couple of things. So first, we can give them a really helpful focus on the structure of the task itself. So different kinds of texts have different kinds of structures, right? Like an email has a different format than a travel blog, which has a different format than a Yelp review, which has a different format than a letter of complaint. Um, So all of these different types of text, the way they look, the way they're laid out, the way they're structured, how many paragraphs they have, that's all determined by the the type of text that it is. Right. Um, So by helping students really, you know, now that they've got the content of the model text, by helping them really now start to look at the structure, you know, how is it arranged? Is there a big heading? Are there subheadings? Is there a title? Is is it addressed to somebody? Um, Letting them sort of examine all of that gives them a template for how their own writing is going to look in the lesson. Right. Um, So we want something in the lesson at some point where you kind of go through and and help students notice what the structure looks like and indicate to them that that's how they'll be structuring their own writing in the lesson. In addition to that, we can also give the students some useful language that can help them in their own writing. Um, If you think of a group of intermediate or especially upper intermediate or advanced students, If you tell them to write something, like you say, okay, write a travel blog, they're probably going to be able to do that, (laughs) you know, with varying levels of success, but they're going to be able to produce something. So again, how do you prove then that when they leave your class, they are any better at writing than they were when they came in? Um, And a way to do that is to give them some helpful functional language that they can use to make their writing sound more natural or more authentic or sort of more high level. And again, this useful language, these can be functional phrases. Um, We'll give you some examples in a second if you're not sure what we mean. Um, But this useful language is going to be 100% determined by the type of task. So think think of different things that you write in your daily life and think of the kind of language that you use. So specific phrases you might say, um, how formal those phrases are, you know, again, writing an official letter of complaint to a a company is going to look a lot different in structure than a text message to your friend. You know, the kinds of words you use are not going to be the same. Um, So what you want to do is whatever your task type is, in this case, we're talking about a, a travel blog. Think about typical language, phrases, style, 
used in a travel blog. Um, and then what kind of language can you give students? Maybe choose five or six phrases that they could potentially use if they want to in their writing. Um, so for a travel blog, things that make sense, you could, you know, what do travel bloggers do? They, they review places, they give you recommendations, suggestions, they tell you what to do in a particular place. Um, so any kind of phrases for making recommendations, giving suggestions, that's going to fit really well. Um, okay. And here you can grade the language that you give the students. So um, determine the language that you give the students basically based on their level. So if you have lower level students, you can give them maybe simpler things like I recommend going to or you should go to, right? A bit simpler. Um, A lot lower, you could even maybe do something as simple as just giving them some helpful adjectives. Mm -hmm. Um, But higher level students, you know, they they're going to be able to do that stuff. So you can play with it, you know, give them some more colloquial phrases like you should definitely check out blah, right. blah, blah. Right. You know, you should definitely yep. check out the outdoor market, um, something like that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So those phrases, um, the great thing about using the model text is that if you have a bit of foresight and planning, you can actually make sure those phrases are planted in the model text. Yes. <laughs> so either you just pick them out of the text that's provided for you, um, or you adapt the text or you write your own so that they're just kind of in there. Yep. Right? And then that flows really, really smoothly that you've done, you know, the just reading task that Lauren mentioned, you know, where they write their headings or match the headings. They have an idea of the content now. And then from there, you can go right into, okay, now yep. here's some phrases from the text. Let's see how they're used. Exactly. Um, Yes. Just be careful you don't spend too, too much time here because remember, this is not a grammar lesson or a language, a functional language lesson, right? The focus needs to still be on writing. You're not giving students these phrases because you want to force them to use them. Nope. You're just giving them as kind of helpful tools. Like, look, we, you know, we're going to have you write a travel blog. This language might help you in doing that. Right. And very likely they will, you know, they will use it if they're comfortable using it. Yeah. So. Yeah. If you give them a little bit of input on how it's used, make sure you focus mm-hmm. just a bit on, of course, meaning and form. Pronunciation, probably a lot less important since it's a writing lesson and Correct. we're not expecting them to actually say these phrases at any point in the lesson. Um, but make sure you give them a bit of input on language and on meaning and form. Sorry. And then they're good to go. Yeah. Which will lead you really nicely into into the next stage. So before students actually start writing, uh, they've had a chance to look at the model text. Um you've given them a little bit of useful language, um, but they still haven't had a, a chance to sort of gather their own thoughts, right? So think the, the next stage, we call it brainstorming. It's sort of the, the bridge between uh, the pre-writing stages and then the writing stage. So if they've looked at a model text, and in this case, it was a travel blog about Boston, um, unless they're living in Boston, they're not likely going to write their travel blog about Boston. Um, so I've done this lesson in a couple of different ways. I've either had them write about the city that we're all in. So most recently I did this lesson in Washington, DC. Um, and everyone wrote about, uh, whatever, a place or food or a restaurant, whatever in DC. Or if I'm in, uh, if, if I'm in another type of situation, I might have them write about, uh, the city that they're from or something like that. Mm-hmm. Either way, they're going to need some time to, to brainstorm. Um, so this is, it's a, it's a really important question to ask yourself at this stage. How much information do you think your students already have about the thing that you want them to write? So I have found, um, in the travel blog lessons, especially that using a little bit of the brainstorming, storming time for them to have sort of an information gathering time, isn't a bad use of time. While I think it's really important for students in the brainstorming stage to have individual time to sit and plan their own thing if they have no information about the thing that they're writing it's going to be very hard so uh it's okay in that stage if you need to set a little bit of time aside for them to access other students in the class or access their cell phone in order to gather information Um, we want to make the brainstorming stage uh useful to them right so a useful step to writing their travel blog. Um, 
so, uh, yeah, so if they need to use their cell phone or they need to do, you know, a little bit of a walk around the classroom and talk to different students who have been to several restaurants or whatever, that's fine. But still remember that they need time during that brainstorming and planning stage to actually sit and uh, have a little bit of quiet and reflective time on their own. Um, mm-hmm. Do note that at this stage, students will try to start writing the entire thing unless you instruct them otherwise. Uh, Because if you give them a piece of paper to brainstorm on, a a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are likely to just start writing. Um, If you want to avoid that, I would suggest giving them a very small piece of paper to brainstorm on, such as a post-it, and then they can't start writing their entire uh, travel blog (laughs) on that because they don't have enough room. Um, nice. It's a little trick I use a lot. I, I've picked up along the way because I've I've had students do it so many times where they've started writing before I was kind of ready for them to start writing, and you might argue that well if they're ready to start writing you should just let them. But you also need to understand that as a teacher you need to control the pacing and the timing of your class. Yeah. So if some students start writing then and some students start brainstorming then your timing is going to be off. So really try and control it before the before the writing writing stage actually starts. Right. And remember, you're, you're, the whole point is that you're helping students with the writing process. So it's nice even for those students that are eager, maybe you're giving them a little bit of, of something new by helping them, you know, take a minute and actually brainstorm first. Maybe their final product is going to be better than it was initially without that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So brainstorming, you know, in, in many lessons is, is an individual thing. I would just say, you know, again, look at the task type and really ask yourself if, you're, if the students have enough information in order to just start the brainstorming on their own or if they need to access information somewhere before they start planning on their own. Yeah, great point. And the nice thing about doing the brainstorming after you've given them the focus on the structure of the task and the useful language is they can sort of have that in mind as they brainstorm. So not only are they just brainstorming ideas, but they're also brainstorming how those ideas fit into the structure that you've shown them of that model. Exactly, that really does help. Yep. Okay. So the students have brainstormed and obviously then the only thing left for them to do at that point next is to start writing their actual texts. Um, This, if it's not clear already by the fact that this is a writing lesson um, or from the fact that this is a writing lesson, this is going to be sort of the main event in your lesson, right? So this is where the, maybe not the bulk of the time, but a significant chunk of time in your lesson needs to go just to this writing stage. And as the teacher, that can feel sort of odd because it, it essentially means that there's a large period of silence in your classroom where the students are just sitting there quietly writing. Mm-hmm. But that's what the students need. Um, so whatever it takes for you to let them do that, you need to do that. This is not a time for you to be talking or giving further instructions or encouragement. <laughs> it really just needs to be quiet for the students to focus and write. Um, in your planning, we would suggest planning your entire lesson around this chunk of time. So set in your plan how much time you want for this writing part. And I would say, you know, 10, 15 minutes, probably minimum, depending on the length of your lesson. Um, and then everything else needs to fit around that, which means yes. maybe you need to make sure other stages are kept a lot shorter than you normally would. Um, but without this writing time, if the students feel super stressed, super rushed, they only have time to write half of their text that you've assigned them, you know, that's going to be really frustrating for everybody involved. Um, so let and them also write. Could, yeah, it could also affect how they actually feel about writing in the future. Yep. Right. Not to put too much pressure on you teachers, but like students might already be anxious about writing. So rushing them through that stage because you've taken too long on the previous stages might make them super anxious about writing itself. Right. So if you need to, you know, cut down the length of the task itself or cut down what you're asking them to do, that's a good way to make this more manageable. Um, You know, it's more realistic for students to write a couple paragraphs of a travel blog in 10 or 15 minutes than it is for them to write an entire blog or, you know, whatever it needs yeah, to be. Exactly. Again, that's something that you think about in your planning of this lesson. Yes. Um, so the students are writing. While they're writing, um, 
what are you doing? <laughs> Basically, you're, you're not talking, you're not distracting them. You want to be as unobtrusive as possible, but you can be monitoring just kind of, you know, really quietly walking around the classroom. Um, if it's possible to sort of subtly look over students' shoulders, you can. Um, maybe note down any errors that they're making. But definitely, this is not a time for you to correct those errors to the students. Um, you're just kind of noting them down and, and again, letting them do their thing uninterrupted. Yeah, I would say here, like, really try to uh, monitor in, a, in an aloof kind of way, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yes. So that the students don't think that they have a lot of access to you. Exactly. This is also, I don't know if we stress this enough, but this is also where the you'll notice how much the brainstorming helps. I think that's a stage that a lot of teachers like to sort of gloss over, like, eh, brainstorming, like, we're short on time, let's just let them start writing. Yeah. Um, but what you'll notice is that the brainstorming is what allows the students to write within this time frame because then they're they've got the ideas, exactly. they've got a sense of where they want to put them in their text, and they can just focus on the writing part. If you haven't done the brainstorming, at this point you'll see students sitting there trying to think of what they want to say, um, and they they can't actually start writing yet. Yeah, um, so don't skip that point. stage. You'll notice the difference in the actual writing yeah. stage if you do. Right. Okay, so once uh, that's oh, go yeah. ahead. I was going to just say it's, it can be it can be hard for teachers too during that stage because it is like you said it is awfully quiet. It like, is. If you need to write yourself big notes on your lesson plan just to keep yourself your mouth closed, like do it. It's really hard for te- some teachers to, to stand there in silence. It really is, but you got to do it. You got to get yeah. used to it. Yeah, agreed. Think about, think about your students. Really put yourself in the place of your students and what they need in that moment, which is quiet. Oh, um, and also, you know, monitor, like Lauren said, in an aloof way. And, you know, focus on that instead. Focus on, you know, seeing how well you can read their papers from a distance. Yeah, <laughs> Practice your exactly. eyesight. I don't know, something. <laughs> something, right. But don't I bother mean, them. <laughs> I don't know if you've been in a classroom before where, like, you've been, you know, given the task to do something serious, and then, like, the teacher starts talking oh, in the middle so of it. It's so frustrating. And it takes me, like, five minutes to refocus again, and by then, yeah. when the writing task is finished, and, like, it's so annoying. So, yeah. So, teachers, just, you know, let your students write in silence. Yep. Good. Okay, so students have their initial draft that they've written then once the allotted time is up. And um, also a great small tip that actually makes a big difference. Don't be afraid to quietly, I mean, as, in as few words as possible, give your students um, some time warnings. Like yes. tell them in advance how long they have to write so they can sort of have that in mind when they begin and, and structure their time accordingly. Maybe give them, you know, a halfway warning and then like a three-quarter warning something like that so that they understand they feel the time kind of winding down and it's not all of a sudden abruptly like okay and you're done pens down that's that's a Um, really good point that's a really good point you know five more minutes is it's a good it's a good heads up right right because then they can sort of decide how they use the rest of their writing time if they need to hurry up or if they need to draw it out or yeah and that's all you need to say not, I know you haven't had time to finish and I'm so sorry, but you only have two more minutes. Like you don't nope. need to explain yourself. Just say two more minutes. That's it. <laughs> Three words max. Um, good. I think we've driven that point home. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, okay. So you've given your students the time warnings. They've finished that writing part. Um, the next thing that you can have your students do, and which I think is really helpful is to let them do a little bit of a peer editing stage. So put the students in pairs and you can have them exchange papers and actually correct each other's writing. In order to really maximize this stage, a suggestion is to give them some structure for this. So not just exchange papers and read your partner's paper or edit your partner's paper, uh, because that can be a little bit intimidating, especially, you know, maybe one of the weaker students who's peer editing one of the stronger students' um, papers, they might feel like they don't have anything to contribute Mm -hmm. or like they're not going to find anything. So what you can do is, you know, don't be afraid to, before they start editing, give the students some really clear directions for this. And it doesn't just have to be accuracy or mistakes that they're looking for. Um, You can give them instructions like, you know, find one thing that you, you think is really helpful that your partner included and one thing you think is not that that helpful Mm -hmm. or you know one thing that you think is great and one thing that you might change or 
um, look at the organization. Can you help your partner with the structure? You know, did they organize the information into clear paragraphs or into clear yeah. sections? Yeah. Can you give them a suggestion for a different heading? You know, can you give them a suggestion for interesting adjectives they could add? Um, you probably don't want to give them all of those instructions, um, but pick a few things that you can specifically tell them to look for. And then even the students who aren't as strong still feel like they can contribute something, you know, yeah. to help their partner. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And, you know, it, and keep that, that stage as closely related to language and structure as you can. Um, because uh, um, it's good for them to to have a chance to give each other language feedback, structured language feedback. I mean, targeted. They're not going to be very good at, you know, they're not editors. They're certainly not teachers. But I think that's a really good chance for them to help contribute to each other's um, language development. Definitely. And for the sake of timing, you're going to want to keep this stage, you know, fairly short, especially depending on how you've budgeted your timing. So, you know, you're not going to want to, have them be giving detailed feedback that takes 20 minutes um, to each other. So just give them a couple of things that they can look for and then let them read and then give each other their suggestions. Exactly. Um, yep. And so once they've had a chance to edit, to peer edit, uh, the next stage is publishing. So publishing is the opportunity uh, that we give students to share their writing with the other students. Um, what we found is that, uh, I don't know if it's, especially this day and age where, you know, everyone's online commenting on each other's, you know, pictures and posts and things like this. Uh, we're very much part of a culture where we, we, we do something and then we put it out there for other people to see. Um, and so what we found is this sort of generation of learners is a lot more receptive to this stage than perhaps other generations were, where they were like, I don't want to show anyone what I wrote. Um, I'm not met with much resistance during this stage anymore no, um, at all. Like it, and it, it might be a generational thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But uh, so publishing basically is, like I said, a chance for students to read each other's writing. Um, but it's not enough just to say, read someone else's writing. Like everything else uh, that we do in class, we need to give them a task, a reason to read. Mm -hmm. um, so if we take the example of the travel blog, um, there are a couple different ways you can do this stage. I've had students put their writing up on the walls, and then um, I regroup the students with a different partner, someone they haven't worked with yet. Um, and they walk around uh, the class together, um, and they read everyone's blogs. Obviously, they're reading individually. They're not working together yet, but I've paired them for a reason because I know once they've read everyone's blogs, I'm going to have them sit down and discuss with their partner of the, uh, the blogs that they've read, what things do they want to do that weekend, you know? And so the task needs to be like, you know, walk around, uh, read, you know, the, read everyone's blogs and choose three things you want to do with your partner this weekend. Something like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. So in, it, this task works especially well because, number one, it gives the students a reason to read. So you're reading in order to choose three things, but you're also having to sit down and negotiate with your partner what three things they want to do versus what three things you want to do and what things you're going to do together, which is kind of nice because it, it lends to a nice discussion. Yeah, that's, that's really fun. Um, and this if you're getting this from what Lauren is saying, this is also this publishing task that you give the students. So whatever you're asking them to do as they walk around and read each other's work, that also should be very closely related to whatever task, whatever thing they wrote, right? Like, like whatever the task was. Um, right. So think about, you know, with a blog post, what normally happens with it, you post it and then people come around and they read it and they follow right. your advice or they don't, you know, they use that to inform their decisions about what they're going to do when they visit that city. So the task that Lauren just suggested for that publishing task where you have to agree with your partner, what you're going to do, that very authentically mirrors how you would normally respond to a exactly. travel blog. Um, just a little aside, one of the, a really cool writing lesson that I saw a teacher in training do once, uh, the writing task was write a Facebook rant. <laughs> and she she actually did it for her model text. She actually posted a rant on her Facebook page. Um, she was a pretty avid cyclist. She cycled to 
class and work and everything every day. So she posted this whole rant on her Facebook page about how, you know, she'd been uh, riding her bike and someone had almost run her off the road because they hadn't been paying attention. And, you know, how could they do that? So then she gave the students for the useful language, she gave them um, a few phrases for expressing annoyance, like, how dare people, or I can't believe it when people, blah, blah, blah. It was so cool. So then for the publishing... You know, what happens when you read someone's Facebook post? Well, you comment or you react. Oh, that's so good. So she actually made little slips of paper that had the Facebook emojis on them, like the, you know, crying face or the angry face or like the sympathy face or whatever they have. And students got to choose their emoji and then write a comment and like, quote unquote, post a comment on the different Facebook rants responding to it. It was so cool. They had such, such fun with it. Yeah. That's um, great. Yeah, that that stage can be a lot of, you know, a lot of fun. And I think, Shannon, you bring up a good point. Like, again, it's really closely rela- related to the task that you do. Mm-hmm. Right? Not every publishing task is going to to lend itself, um, you know, to the te- the text that they've that they've read. Uh, so your publishing task really needs to be connected to what we call uh, content feedback in that stage. Content feedback mm-hmm. is just when students have a chance to, to feedback or comment on uh, the ideas in the writing, not the language. Um, so the publishing task in my example was like students read uh, the travel logs and they decide three things they want to do. And then they negotiate with their partner what they're going to do that weekend. And then I ask the class, I nominate a couple of the groups. Okay, what did you decide to do with your partner? That's the content feedback. Right? So they give feedback on the ideas. Oh, so-and-so wrote about this. I really want to go to that restaurant. Or I really want to go to the sports game mm-hmm. or whatever. Exactly. Um, and, yeah. And so it works out really nicely because it gives students a reason to report back to the class as well. Because uh, it's awkward. If you haven't set a task, then what's your question there? Okay, so did anyone read anything interesting? Like, that's not, that's not a task. No interesting isn't like what does that even mean or like I I also um just a side note here I I tend to uh avoid and I tend to encourage my teachers my teacher trainees to avoid asking which one was the best one best by whose standard and best by which rubric like why which like criteria there's I don't understand what best means Mm -hmm. um ask something more specific right um so choosing someone, you know, choosing the best means that, that someone in the class is going to feel like there's the worst. And I don't like that a lot at all. Um, so doing these, these tasks that mirror real life activities uh, are, are usually more beneficial to the students. Definitely. And it much more closely mimics, again, how we read those types of texts in real life. You know, like right. you're not going to read a bunch of different Facebook rants and be like, which one was the best rant? Or, you know, <laughs> right. even like read Ooh, a bunch of travel ranting. blogs and like... <laughs> Which one was the best blog? Like, what does that mean? Right. The one that with the writing that you liked the most or the one that right. was the most positive exactly. about the destination? Right. Um, no, you're going to read it with some other specific goal in mind, depending on what kind of task, what kind of text it is. Like, right. I'm going to read this Facebook rant and then offer sympathy because it's my mm-hmm. friend and I feel bad. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to read this travel blog and then decide if I'm actually going to go do those things or not. And you'll notice if you haven't set a successful like publishing task, you'll notice it when you go to do the content feedback because you'll set you won't have what to, you won't have anything to ask the students. <laughs> yeah, they'll sit down after having read all the things or whatever, and you'll be like, "So who Did, read about right. <laughs> traveling? You know? Did you read them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. Moving on. Right. So yeah, that publishing task. It also um, it really builds uh a sense of sort of camaraderie amongst the students. Uh, students aren't, uh, they're not interested in, in, in really pleasing us, right? Like if, if you're a teacher who's older than your students, you're not their peer, you know, they, uh, in that publishing task, they have a, they have a, a chance to sort of, you know, uh, share what they've, what they've uh, written with their peers, which is yeah. what you're doing a lot online these days. So, it works out nicely. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I think it's worth mentioning here before we move on just why the publishing task being structured like this, like a publishing task where students get up and read each other's work is so important. Because what I've seen a lot 
and heard a lot with new teachers or teachers in training is that their first instinct is that after the students write something and peer edit and all of this, you know, they have this beautiful writing lesson. And then at the end, what they want the students to do is read their writing out loud to the <laughs> class. Oh, Because um, yeah. they, they just can't imagine anything else to do with it at that point. Yeah. And having the students read what they've just written out loud is problematic for several reasons. Um, first, just because you know not every student necessarily wants to do that, so it might be putting the student on the spot. Um, number two, even if every student in your class does want to do that, that is going to be time-consuming. And if you've structured this lesson in a, in a way that is effective and that leaves the students plenty of actual writing time, you're probably not going to have time for every single student um, to read whatever they've just written out loud. Right. Um, and third, because again, everything goes back to authenticity and, and trying to use language in the classroom the way the students are training to use language in real life, right? So if this were real, if you were actually writing a blog post, would you at any point expect to read it out loud to a group of people? Never. <laughs> no, right? What would you expect to happen to it? You would expect to post it somewhere online for other people to read, and then other people would come by and read it. Um, so that's what we want the task to look like in the classroom. However you would normally share that writing or whatever would normally happen to that writing in real life, you want to simulate that in your class. Perfect. So, you know, if it's an email that you're having students write, maybe it doesn't make the most sense to post it. Maybe it makes more sense for them to quote unquote, send it to somebody across the room and have that right. person read it. And then and if there's it. time, maybe they write a response. Yep. Um, so think about what's going to happen to that kind of writing in real life and, and try to make sure that's sort of what happens to it in the classroom. I like that. I like it. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've done the, that publishing, we, if you've given them a good publishing task, you can get really good content feedback by, you know, eliciting responses to whatever you had them do as they were reading each other's work. Um, and then finally, with the last bit of time, you can do some language feedback as well. Um, or in other words, do some delayed error correction. So while the students were writing their initial drafts and while they were peer editing, you can be walking around and unobtrusively collecting any errors that you see and noting them down. Um, you can also, while the students are walking around and reading each other's work, you can also be walking around and reading different students' work and noting any errors you see, or maybe even um, some examples of really good language. You know, maybe you saw them use some of the useful language that you gave them really successfully. Uh, so note some of those things down. And then put those up on the board and you can elicit corrections from the students to give them a, a little bit of an accuracy upgrade at the end of all this writing fluency work. Nice. I think that really helps them walk away with that, with that sense that they've, you know, they've done something with their writing that day too, which is really good. Even though we know as teachers, skills development is very important. Students often like, they want feedback on their language. They want to know that you know, they've written it correctly. Yep. And again, that's another way that you can avoid that problem of having students feel like they showed up, they wrote something, they left, right? So by giving them that useful language earlier on, by giving them a focus on the structure, by mm -hmm. giving them practice with this whole process of writing, you know, the brainstorming, the drafting, the peer editing, and then finally by giving them some error correction to actually upgrade their accuracy in their writing, um, you're really helping to show that, you know, at the end of the day, the students hopefully left a little bit better at writing than when they showed up. Absolutely. You know, I, I've seen it happen a couple of times. I mean, writing lessons, there are a lot of stages in a writing lesson. And so things can, can get a little bit off track. And so I would say, you know, anticipate that as one of your problems is that mm -hmm. that timing is tough in a writing lesson. Like we had said before, make sure that your writing lesson is uh, structured around the writing stage. So make sure your students have enough time to, to do that. Make sure it's achievable in the amount of time that you've set aside. Um, shorten the task if you need to. That's fine. It's okay if the course book has students writing three paragraphs. It's fine if you say, yeah, but it's only a 45-minute class. Okay, have them write, you know, uh, I don't know, not a paragraph because that's a silly task, but a shorter version of whatever's in the book right um again we don't want to assign today we're writing a paragraph that is not a writing task today we're writing a blog today we're writing a review that's a task exactly um, and if you couldn't tell from this entire episode 
really everything else in your lesson and your writing lesson stems from what the task is. So you'll notice that in trying to plan a writing lesson around a task like write a paragraph on XYZ, none of the other stuff is going to make any sense. Like what's your lead in? I don't know. Like what's <laughs> what's the what useful hey, language what useful like language do you need for a paragraph? <laughs> what are they brainstorming like right. there's not nothing else is there like what's the model text about like yeah. once you have what the task is make sure it's a, a kind of task like if you're tempted to just tell your students write a paragraph about your favorite movie no think about like what is that like no one sits yeah. down and writes a paragraph right is it right. an email to their friend convincing them to go see the movie yep. is, is it, it a review, review right of the movie is it an interview with the the lead actor in the movie um, you know, you've got tons of options. There's no right yeah. answer, but Absolutely. a paragraph is the wrong answer. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, another problem that I've, I've seen, you know, in writing lessons is that, uh, you know, some students finish faster than others. Um, and some students need a little bit more time to write. And so we have to really think about, uh, what are the factors uh, that we need to take into consideration when we're planning the timing of that writing, uh, the writing stage in a lesson. Um, so knowing going into the lesson that likely students aren't going to be writing at the same rate, what are some things we can do? Like, is mm-hmm. it important for everyone to write the same length? You know, probably not. Uh, is it important for everyone to feel like they've had enough time to write enough ideas? Yes, that's the important thing. So, like, what do we do to sort of strike that balance? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so th- do you think about it? Uh, in the past, we've, we've um, suggested having a fast finishers task, right? Mm-hmm. So for those students who have finished uh, their writing uh, before others are, are quite done, think about something you can have them do. Uh, so maybe uh, they, you have them add some details, or I don't know, what have you done in the class for a fast finisher's task? Yeah, usually I'll have them, if there's a lot of time left, I'll have them, you know, add another part. You know, if it's a travel blog, okay, mm-hmm. you know, you wrote the section about food. Um, now maybe write a bit more about three restaurants that you would recommend or yes. another restaurant that you would recommend or something that you wouldn't recommend. Um, okay. Or if it's an email, you know, add another paragraph about something or, you know, ask right your friend a few more questions about something um and then you can also ask them to go back and edit their own work um because that might not come as sort of an intuitive next step to everybody um but you can tell them okay go back and check you know do you can you find any grammar or spelling errors um Mm -hmm. and that might actually be helpful for students to kind of proofread their own work before you do the peer edit good and you know with those who are a little that who need a little bit more time to write those time warnings that you're using are going to help that move them along too. Mm-hmm. Right. So five more minutes or two more minutes or whatever it is, is an indication that it's ending soon and that they need to start wrapping up their ideas. Monitor as you're saying that and really encourage those who are not quite done to finish up. Exactly. Exactly. Um, great. Okay. So that is our advice on how to teach a writing lesson. Just to recap, um, first things first, everything stems from the writing task itself. So make sure the writing task is something authentic, uh, write X number of sentences or write a paragraph on X, Y, Z doesn't count as authentic. You need to make sure you can identify what, what kind of text is it really? And that should be something real life. Good. And then the next uh, thing would be to, um, set context in your lead in, make sure that you're not focusing on language or even saying today we're going to do writing uh, in your lead-in, make sure that it just leads into the the theme of the lesson, which in this case was travel. Right. Uh, The next thing is to provide students with a model of the kind of text you want them to write, and you can adjust the length based on how long you want students to be actually writing. Um, And that should look as much like the real thing as possible. Good. The next uh, stage is to give students some useful language. Um, remember that you're not teaching a grammar lesson here or a functions lesson. It's just useful language. So keep it light, uh, keep it fairly short and ideally pull that language from your model text. It'll make it a lot easier to teach it. 
And then after that, you want to make sure you give the students some brainstorming time um, that might be collaborative at first if they need to gather information, or that could be something that they just do on their own. Um, also helpful if you've given the students a focus on structure so they can brainstorm how their ideas are going to fit into that structure you've given them. Good. The next stage is writing. So really make sure that the students have enough time to write um, in silence. Shorten the task if necessary. Um, and if there uh, is time there, we really uh, uh, recommend uh, leaving some time for peer editing. So the students having the chance to exchange pages, uh, papers and read each other's writing for language um, errors or contributions. Uh, contributing um, language ideas. And then from there, you go into the official publishing stage, which should definitely not be having the students read out loud what they've just written, but rather this should be something that authentically mirrors whatever would happen with that kind of writing in real life. Um, So in this case, if it's a travel blog, students should have the opportunity to post their blog around the room, um, and then other students should have an opportunity to read it and helpful if the other students have some sort of task that they're looking for while they read. So that they can do content feedback, so they feedback on their ideas. And then uh, if you have uh, been doing everything that we've said to be doing all along, you've gathered enough uh, errors that right at the end of the lesson, you can have a little language feedback um, stage or delayed error correction. Put those errors on the board and have students correct them. Exactly. And that'll do it. That's your writing lesson. That's it. We made it sound so easy. I don't know. <laughs> no big deal. Just a writing lesson. Just a writing lesson. Um, but go ahead and try it out. I know a lot of teachers are hesitant to teach writing in class because it either just seems like too much to do or in many cases not enough to do. Yeah. Um, hopefully this episode has uh, persuaded you that it's definitely not nothing. Um, there's, if anything, it's too much to do, not, not enough to do. Um, Absolutely. But try it out. It's going to take some practice to get the timing just right, but I think it really is more valuable for students than we like to think as teachers. I think so too. And definitely, if you try it out, uh, send us your comments. We'd love to hear how your writing lessons go. Yes, send us your ideas. We would love that. You can leave them in the comment box below. Um, also, if you haven't reviewed us um, or rated us on iTunes yet, we would, or sorry, Apple Podcasts now, right? Uh, yep. We would absolutely appreciate if you would take like five seconds and do that. We we do check them and it means so much to us every time we get any review. It, it helps us get the word out there about quality language teaching. Yeah, and also our email list is growing, so uh, if you'd like to join the community, we would love to have you. Yes, and I always tell people, because I love how Lauren said this, she was so kind um, and polite in in the way she brought it to my attention. So when we first started TEFL Horizons, you know, obviously we, we wanted to have a weekly newsletter, and as I started writing them, Lauren kind of very kindly came to me and said, I don't think you know what a newsletter is. <laughs> Just like this, it was this supposed is to be a compliment. News. <laughs> like this is not new. This is a blog post that you're emailing right. people. Yeah. Um, it is. So yeah, the new the newsletters are are really more just like teaching guidance. It's really like you get a little mini blog post delivered to your inbox every week with super helpful teaching ideas. Um, News when we have some, (laughs) but um, yeah, I like to think it's more informative than just saying what's going on in in our lives. It's so funny that you bring that up because (laughs) I was on a course recently and the newsletter came out um, on Wednesday and one of my trainees had subscribed to it the week before, and she was getting her first one that mm-hmm. Wednesday. And so she said, yeah, I got the newsletter today. That information would have been really helpful three days ago. Oh, because <laughs> of a lesson that she had to teach Because of a lesson she had, yeah, she had taught, like, the the previous week or, like, that that Monday or something. I laughed so hard. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, but, uh, it's nice to hear that, that, uh, people are reading it and benefiting from it. So, um, yeah. 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 So if you haven't signed up, please do. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, a little bit like what's in the podcast, like how to teach a listening lesson. Um, other times it's just like, here's one concrete activity idea you can use in your class tomorrow <laughs> if you want. Um, so if you want to sign up, go to tefelhorizons.com slash newsletter um, or just stay on the site long enough and a little pop-up will come up. You can put your email in and then um, 
yeah, comes to your inbox every week. And we rarely send emails outside of that um, unless we actually do have something going on, like an in-person free training or a webinar or something. Yeah. So you won't get spammed that often, we promise. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, it's been, it's been great, uh, Shannon talking to you from afar. <laughs> you too. Yeah. Uh, next episode we might be recording in person, so that'll be fun. We'll let you know. <laughs> All right. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes if you know other teachers and travelers we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too and tune in this coming tuesday for our next episode until then you can find us at teflhorizons.com let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons